Well, good morning, Exchange Church. I am excited about today. Um, and I'm sorry, my, my brain will not focus until I say this, baby. I've already paid for Jordan and Tristan's deposit. Please don't click that button or pay more. We've got our 140 in, so they're good. That, that's the benefit of working here because I knew this week that was an announcement and I'm like, my kids are going to camp. I need a break. So anyway, <laughs> we've already got our... <laughs> I'm just kidding, Jordan. I love you. I love you. But really. <clears throat> Will you stand with me in honor of reading God's word this morning? God is so good. Amen. Amen. I just feel something in this place. Feel something in this place. God, I don't know what you're about to do, but you have our full attention this morning. Yes, Lord. I want to take you to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Um, I, I preached this sermon last week. I started it last week and I decided that I was uh, going to turn it into a two part sermon. So I'm doing the second part today. And um, I will wrap up today, but the notes that you got is from last week and today. So I'm going to move really quickly over the first two points, but I'm talking about community. We have a cinder block couch on platform, which is very uncomfortable. In fact, in week one of this series, I cracked my phone that was in my back pocket when I sat down on the couch. I know the Lord loves me to have a living example of the sermons that I preach. So uh, anyway, uncomfortable, the tense and awkward and challenging um, details of Christian community, of community. And so I'm pretty excited about today's sermon. I want to take you to James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and let's just say that word together, demonic. Ooh, man, it's a powerful word. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And then I want to jump into the next chapter, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. The, the chapter we just read, we're talking about wisdom. There are two types of wisdom, one from God and one that is demonic. Oh, wow. That's pretty incredible to know that there are actually two forms. There's a demonic form of wisdom parading itself around us. And sometimes we may think it's from heaven when indeed it's not. But in chapter four, James is saying, we knew each other well, but now we have this tension in community. In James 4, 1 through 3, he says, a question that he already knows the answer to. James, the brother of Jesus, is acting an awful lot like Jesus, right? Asking questions when you already know the answers. James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now. I thank you so much for the, the family that is in this room. God, even the people that I've not yet met, and there are a few. God, I understand that they are sons and daughters and you gave your life for them and, and you have ordained this moment for them to be at the Exchange Church, a place where purpose is awakened and developed. And I just believe that in the next 25, 30 minutes, God, that you're going to stir something deep 
within the core of who we are, not on surface level, not just the stuff that we're gonna say, that's a good sermon, let's go to Chewy's, but the thing that we're gonna walk away from today and something that goes beyond what the preacher says and does or talks about, but something to what the Spirit of God has reached into the depths of our soul and pulled to the surface for healing to be awakened. God, I thank you. I thank you that in this room in the next 24 minutes that cancer is going to flee in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you that diabetes is going to bow to the name of Jesus. God, we just declare it. We declare it in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you. I thank you, God, that we are stepping out of statistics. God, statistics say that one in Two pastors are addicted to pornography and seven out of 10 Christian men are addicted to pornography. Not even sure what the stats are on the ladies, but it's gonna be close. But we say not here, not today, Satan. In the name of Jesus, we take back our homes for the purity that God has intended. Right now, from the very root of which it is planted, we just pull it up right now by the power of Jesus Christ. God, I thank you. There is such an expectation in this place for your power and presence to move among us. God, we thank you and we give you full permission to show yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Before you sit down, high five somebody, hug somebody, declare something great over somebody, and then you may be seated. God himself functions in community. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, we know that the triune God is himself community. He values community. We see that in the garden when he created Adam and Eve, and he brought them together as one flesh in union with the creator walking in the garden. God values community. And because God values community so much, the enemy, Satan, devil, Lucifer, prince of all lies, you, you know, the one, the evil one. He will do anything to disrupt community. Anything. He will plant little seeds that you didn't even know was the devil, and we're going to blame sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so and think it's their problem. But we all understand at this place that we fight an unseen enemy. There is one enemy that comes against the people of God, and that is Satan himself. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Christ has come so that you and I may have life and have it to the full. Last week, I talked to you about the, the four rough seas of community, navigating the rough seas of community. Anyone ever gone on a cruise before and you thought it was great until you woke up in the middle of the night very sick to your stomach? Anyone? Just me. Okay. It was going to be great, free food nonstop, and you, the rough seas got to me in my sleep, and I didn't know, and then the whole next day, I'm very very sick. Thank God I wasn't the captain. But if I'd been the captain, maybe I wouldn't have gotten sick. Who knows? But we are trying to navigate the rough seas of community. Oh, you thought when you got married, <laughs> to death do you part, it was going to be roses and cupcakes and lollipops? Is that what you... <laughs> oh, you thought when you brought that baby home that they, they, oh man, you thought they were going to listen to you every time you told them to do the dishes. Did you really, did you really think we started out so good? Like when I said I do, I meant it and I really did love her. When I said I love this baby and it changed my life, I really meant it. I, I didn't know I was going to be nervous that they were going to send me to jail when they were 19 and 20. Do you know? What once started out so brilliant and so lovely and so wonderful, there are seeds that are planted throughout the way that eventually make us look back and say, it once was great, but now, not so much. So what are those rough seas of community? Because I just happen to believe, and maybe this is a crazy thought, but I happen to believe that as children of God, as sons and daughters, we don't have to live through the typical systems of humanity. Like we don't actually have to go through life and say, man, my teenagers are crazy. 
It's not a teenager thing. We can be sons and daughters and say, man, the teenage years are the greatest years of our family's life when they're stepping into their full identity of Jesus Christ and there's so much potential on their life. Are you with me? We don't have to live the cycles that the life or the, the world lives. We get to step outside of those by having holy community, healthy community. So I wrote down four things. The first point I preached about last week, I'm not going to touch on today, but everybody in the room that's... Uh, perfectionist, you like to finish what you start, you need that blank filled in. The first one is the confusion. The confusion. We forget why we're even fighting. We forget that it was once great. We forget that we were once on the same page. Confusion starts with a seed and it grows into a plant that needs to be pruned back. The next C is conquest, conquest. You and I were created for a desire to have dominion. You and I were created to have a desire to want to fight for something. We, we all need a conquest in life, right? We need something to rally around. Our families need vision. Our churches need vision. Our education system needs vision. Our country needs vision. The world needs vision. Every... Every one of us were built to have this hole inside of us that we want to have dominion and we want to fight for something. We want to fight for what's right. We have a, the vision at the Exchange Church that we are a place where purpose is awakened and developed. That's our goal. Everything we do around here funnels down to that. It, are we trying to awaken purpose? If not, we don't need to do it. Let's let another church do it. Let another organization meet that need. That's, that's not what we're here for. We're about awakening and developing purpose. Like each and every one of us should on some level or not, or another be awakening greater, right? Hashtag awaken greater. That means God is moving us from where we are to where he wants us to be. As a husband, I am, I, I am deciding that I'm going to hashtag awaken greater, my wife said, amen. As a father, I've decided that I'm going to hashtag awaken greater. And my kids said, amen. No, you still don't get the cell phone. <clears throat> As a leader, I've decided that I'm going to hashtag awaken greater. I'm just going to give every area of my life that God wants to take and work on. I'm, I'm going to surrender it to him so that I can awaken greater. Because that, my friends, is a vision worth living for. I don't need a vision worth dying for. Jesus already died for that vision. He, he needs me to wake up and live. He needs me to put some action with my, oh, that's a good idea. He needs me to take a step and actually accomplish something and put some action with the faith that I declare that I have. Are you with me, church? We need a conquest. We need something to fight for. We need to fight the right thing at the right time. Some of us try to fight the right battle at the wrong time trying to wake your husband up at 1 a.m. Honey, we need to have a three-hour conversation. <laughs> Great conversation, wrong time, right? Right? Or, or your wife, your wife or husband, whoever's cooking the, the meal, they're like spinning all the plates, getting stuff done, and you walk in, you've had a great day at work or wherever it is that you've been, and you just want to tell them all about it. Like, great conversation, probably wrong time. So we need to learn the conquest can be the right conquest or the wrong conquest, but it needs to be at the right time. There's a right time and a wrong time, right? Deciding before you make that big purchase of a brand new car, what your budget is, is probably better than after you sign on the dotted line. And then you go look at the budget and you realize, well, crap, I'm 300 short every month. Budget, Great idea, wrong time. Are you with me? We need a conquest. Preached about that last week. It is good. You can look that up online. But I want to go to number three. Because we can have something worth fighting for, and we can fight fighting the right battles. That's, that's all important. But this next one, it's a rough C. It's called the confrontation. Because we can fight all day long, but if we have a battle without confronting our issues, that's a false sense of winning. 
If I paint over the stain, but I don't fix the leak, that's a false sense of remodeling. Some of us need to, need to probably get a little more confrontational. How, how many of you like confrontation? A few. Josh does. I know my wife does. She just doesn't know if it's appropriate to raise her hand. She likes. <laughs> she was waiting for Josh, and she's like, okay, there's one other. Uh, my wife likes confrontation. Not that she likes to beat up people. She's just, well, I don't know. No, she doesn't. She actually has a healthy connotation of confrontation, which is what I want to talk to you about. How many of you don't like confrontation? When you think about your, you have to work yourself up for confrontation. You replay, uh, all the hands all in the room, oh man, you replay that conversation and you say, if he says A, I'm going to say B, but if he says A.2, 2.0, I'm going to say B, 2.0. If he says C, I'm going to say D. If he says A, C, D, I'm going to say F, G, H. If he says F, G, H, Come on, you've replayed it over and over and over. You think of every possible scenario, and then you're getting ready for the confrontation, and what happens? Your breathing starts to shallow. Let me just walk you through what I experience. Your heart starts racing. Your palms start sweating. I'm, I can almost create the physical response in my body right now as I tell you about confrontation. You look them in the eye, and at some point or another, I hate this about myself. My lip will quiver. I'm not about to cry, but I've got so much adrenaline going through my body just to build up what I want to say to you right now that my physical body doesn't know how to handle it. And then I get really mad at myself because you think I'm weak, and I'm not weak. I'm not about to cry. And if I were about to cry, I'm probably only about to cry because I want to kill you right now. And I'm crying because I can't do that. And sometimes I just cry because I don't get enough experience and, and practice in confrontation. I don't really like confrontation. I just don't. Can't we just all get along? Can't you just know who's the leader, who's the boss, do what they say, and then lead your people well, and then give your 10% and listen to everyone in charge, everyone that we've, what, you know what I'm saying? Like, can't we just all play by the rules? God, just do what you know to do, and then we don't have to have confrontation. Confrontation complicates everything. Because then my feelings get involved, your feelings get involved. But the reality is, confrontation is required. If you and I want to awaken greater, we better get good at confrontation. We better embrace confrontation. And I'm a little concerned, quite honestly, because probably 93% of us in the room raised our hand for confrontation. And most of you tried to beat the other person because you feel like you're the worst confronter in the room. You're like, I hate confrontation. I have an anxiety panic attack just when I think about possibly having to confront somebody, right? We, we have to get better at confrontation because here, here's what we get confused on. Many of us think, well, if you're confrontational, that means you're mean. You're mean. But that's not what confrontation is. They, we assume that you're mean if you're confrontational because we are used to the fact that weak people have to get angry to confront. Let me say that again. We have seen it modeled in our life over and over and over that the point of confrontation only happens when that person has had enough, they just can't take it anymore. And then they explode and they unleash and they say things that they shouldn't say and they do things that they didn't really want to do because they didn't handle the confrontation back here when it could have been handled appropriately and without fear, without insecurity. You think that Angry people that confront are strong people. Those are weak people. My heart goes out for people that confront angrily. Because they're not strong. They don't even feel strong. They feel afraid. They're trying their best in that moment to control what they can control. Because the reality is their whole life is spinning out of control. You know why? Because this situation isn't the only situation that they won't confront. 
They won't confront their finances over here. They won't confront their relationships with their kids. They won't confront what they watch on the internet when no one's watching. They won't confront how often they attend church and sit themselves in a conversation with someone so that they can grow. They won't confront their past and let go of things that should be forgiven. Are you with me? Like when you see someone explode, that's just the tip of the iceberg. They're in pain. They're hurting. And this is why you and I, as much as we hate to confront, we just need to understand confrontation. Because when we see confrontation escalate, that is an open door for the kingdom of heaven to step in and bring healing to someone. We have to get better at confronting if we want community to be healthy, right? We, we can't just sweep things under the rug. How many of you grew up in a family dynamic or system where you didn't talk about the bad stuff? You just swept it under the rug. And if we sweep it under the rug, then we can walk around in our socks and without shoes, and we won't know that there's actually dirt in the house because it's under the rug. But can I tell you, ignoring the dirt and pushing it under the rug does not clean the house, this is why confrontation has to happen. Healthy confrontation has to happen in our homes because our homes get weighed down with the filth that we refuse to confront. If you don't confront it, it won't change. And too many of us are going around specifically on Facebook, probably, and complaining about the very things that we tolerate. We have to confront we, we have to confront the situations that we have, we have given permission and access to our life. We, we have to confront the enemy. And the enemy, I know what you're thinking. The enemy is not your kid. The enemy is not your spouse. The enemy is certainly not the bill collector that you actually signed up for 12 months ago, but you're just not paying the bills. That's not the enemy. That's not the enemy. You know what I mean? Sometimes our greatest enemy is in a me. The philosophies that I've subscribed to, the mentalities that I've adopted, the gratitude that I've lost and now has become entitlement. Do you remember when, do you, do you remember when you got that job? And you were just so grateful to get a paycheck. And now you're just entitled. Well, can I just get that paycheck early? Are you giving us work early? Okay, can I just leave early? Can I leave two hours early? I've got an errand to run. We now feel entitled and what we once had gratitude for, we just now feel like they owe us. Sometimes we become our biggest enemy, Ryan. Sometimes I wonder if the devil doesn't sit back and say, oh, Trey, man, we got to destroy his life. Let's send how many troops we want to send. Let's send, oh, oh, no. Now send those troops somewhere else. We got Trey on the payroll, ruining his own life right now with his thoughts. We don't need to send more enemies. The enemy is in me. Social scientists will tell us that up to 98% of our behavior is by habits. Just things that we don't even know we're doing. We wake up, we take a shower, we wash ourselves in the same order every day, most people. Unless you're some weird creative type, like I've done sometimes and intentionally said, okay, which one next? Right foot, it's your turn. You know, typically we go in order because we create, we are creatures of habits, Right? And if we can, we can get habits planted deep into our life and we never confront those habits to say, is it really getting me where I want to be? Is it really getting me where God wants me to be? Some of you are so frustrated with your life and you are praying for breakthrough in your life and God is saying, you're getting exactly what the system you're working produces. Like God has given us wisdom to create a system to produce a life that honors God. And we don't want to do work on this end of the system. Like 
you know, evaluating and confronting our habits. Do we show up to work on time? Do we, do we leave when we're supposed to? Do we communicate like we're supposed to? Are we responsive and respectful? Do we follow through? Do we close the loops? I know I don't have to list every scenario, but are you with me? You get the point. Like there are things that you and I can do and we don't need heaven and earth to move for it to change our life. We just simply use our brains, our God-given brains. It's a blessing. Believe it, God, God allows us to change our life through using what's already in our hands. Will he do a miracle? Yes, you, you better believe it. He will do it. When we have done all that we can do, he will come through and he will, he just loves to lavish us ridiculously when we don't deserve it and we're not expecting it. Won't he do it? I know that he will. But on some level, you and I have to confront what we tolerate in our lives so that we can partner with the promise. I just believe that preparation meets opportunity. We keep asking God for a new, better job. What are you doing from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. to increase your skills? You know, there are some great, pot, crazy, fun podcasts out there. I'm, I'm hooked on one right now that talks about executive leadership, the, the look and sound of leadership. And I'm learning how to respond to people's answers with short answer, true or false, and long essay. And there's actually techniques that make you sound more professional. Like, and I'm not about putting on a facade. I'm talking about growing. Growing my capacity and who I am and who I can relate to and who I can benefit. What are we doing to partner with the miracle and the move of God in our life? We've got to confront. You know what we really have to confront? Confront. <clears throat> we have to confront ourselves, and that's the hardest person. Confronting yourself means confronting your version of the story. Confronting your version of the story. Maybe I've learned it wrong. Maybe, maybe I've taught myself wrong. I'm going to go over a few minutes. We, you can wait. I'll call you back in. I was trying to move it to a moving moment, but I just can't get there yet. Confrontation means confronting your story, your version of the story right? Looking at how you tell the story and actually finding the truth and the error in that. I know you've, you've told it that way. You always, you always, by the way, remember your side of the story to your advantage. Always. Even if you're telling someone what you've done wrong, it's to your advantage. It's never as bad as it really was. Never. Usually you don't give yourself the fault share of the situation. It's usually everyone else's problem. But if you do take credit, you never share the story in a way that's fully accurate. All of us have a version of the story and we get the facts wrong. You look better in your story than you do when your kids tell the story. You look better in your story than when your wife tells the story. You look better in your story than when your boss tells the story. We have to confront our version of the story. I know you really remember it that way. I know. That's why I'm saying it's hard to confront yourself because you believe it. You believe that it happened that way. You believe that they were wrong. You believe that you were, you were sinned against in that way. You believe that they said that. You believe that you responded this way. We've got to confront our version of the story. No, I did make that choice. I, I did step into that addiction. I did start that conversation that wasn't appropriate. I did sign up for more credit than I intended to ever pay. Are you with me? I'm saying a lot of are you with me's. I'm going to try to cut that out because I, I really shouldn't need your validation. I just feel passionate about this message. I just really believe we got to start confronting some things. There are some kings in our mind that we have set on the thrones of our heart and it's time to de dethrone them. 
No wonder we're living the same life we lived last year. No wonder we're struggling with the same sin that we struggled with last year. No wonder our relationships are up one day and down the, down the next. No wonder we're still insecure and we look in the mirror and we still remember that bad decision and we still carry the guilt and we still carry the shame because we have no capacity of confrontation of our version of the story. What if our version of the story actually aligned with what God says about it? What if our version of the story really was something more like, yes, I did, but now I am. Yes, it's difficult, but I'm pressing through. Yes, I'm in a challenge right now. I'm in a struggle right now, but the final chapter has not been written. I believe in confrontation because ultimately you can't conquer what you won't confront. We want a conquest. We want something that we're living for, that we're fighting for. Well, we've got to confront some things. And here's the beauty of it. Once you confront some things, you get to own some things. At the Exchange Church, we are faithful in ownership. That means once you take ownership of your portion of a situation, this is why self-control is actually one of the fruits of the Spirit. Because we are able to own the things within our realm of ownership. And there's beauty in that. If between you and I, if me and Jordan, there's a problem and there's a conflict, and I, I believe it's all Jordan, and maybe he's done 90% wrong and I've done 10% wrong. I focus on the 10% that I've done wrong, not the 90%. Because it's only the 10% that I have ownership with. How many of you rent a house right now, rent an apartment, a rental of some sort? Great. I have to. I happen to own my house today, but I have rented for much of my life. And here's one thing I know. You can't go and paint those walls today when you get home from church. Unless you have talked to the owner. When you have ownership, you have permission to make changes to their, the place where you dwell. And some of us need to take more ownership of the story so that we can actually surrender it to God and allow healing to take place in our life. You're giving other people, you think that you're making yourself look good by not taking any of the ownership. Here's the problem. You're forfeiting the right to heal. Because what we own, we can surrender to God. It is good. Let me get to my fourth point because Chad's wanting to play. The fourth point, the control, control, control. Someone once told me 14 years ago, a mentor of mine said, Trey, whenever there's conflict or dysfunction, it's always, without exception, about control. I didn't believe him. I mean, I didn't question him. You don't question your mentor. You're just like, oh, that's cool. Stuck with me, and it's proven true. There is not a situation in my life that I have encountered that I cannot trace back to control. Me wanting it, someone else wanting it, there being a tug of war over control, it all funnels back down to control. Garden of Eden, God created two trees, the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. Remember this? And he said, you can eat from anyone if you want, or eat from the tree of life. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge. But what did they do? The, the serpent comes in, confuses the woman, deceives her. She then offers the fruit to the man and they eat from the tree of knowledge. Why? Because since day one, humanity has wanted to be in control. And we, we even have this clever little slogan, don't we? Knowledge is So rather than eat from the tree of life and trust in the grace of God and the, the life-sustaining power of the garden, we, we think knowledge is power and we need control. Make us like God. Control will jack up community in a heartbeat. We were, by the way, born with a desire to control. I call it in a, in a saved way, healthy way, that's called dominion. 
God has given us dominion to reign and to rule over the earth. We should want dominion, but control becomes different. By the way, God's not in control. I hate to mess up your theological ideas, but God's not in control. We've heard that all your life. It's just not true. God is in charge, not in control. If he were in control, this church would have everyone in Round Rock, Texas, sitting in this room right now. If he were in control, there would not be pornography. There would not be abortions. There would not be sin on earth. Or if there was sin, no one would be engaging in it because free will would not exist because God's in control. But God's not in control. He's delegated that to you. But when it's healthy, it's only looking like self-control. Galatians 5, through 23, that's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. So we have this desire to control because God needs us to self-control because he's taking his hands off the control. Oh yeah, he's in charge and he's going to drop little blessings and all of He's not going to make us lose that last 10 pounds. Somebody said, oh, Jesus, please. <laughs> He's not going to make us get out of debt. See, y'all don't even know. I got a handheld. Now I might preach. Not really. He's not going to make you build relationships at church. You know, just those little things that can actually grow you spiritually. He's not going to make that happen. He's not going to make you tithe. He's not going to make you serve. Like God's not into making you do anything. He gives you the opportunity to leverage self-control. A study by wingspanbank.com found that 61% of Americans feel at least one aspect of their life is out of control. What time did we start this service? 11. May I have seven more minutes of your time? Thank you. <clears throat> nah, just seven minutes. I'm going to bring this home and it's going to be good, okay? The truth is that control, Caleb, is an illusion. I can't control you, though I live in a delusional world where I think that I can. I can't control how you speak to me, though I would like to think I can. I can't. I, there are so many things I cannot control, and I think in my mind that I can. And if I spend all of my time and energy trying to control that which is beyond my reach, I will not control that which is within my reach, which is my self-control. It's called action. And without action, faith is dead. So I've, I've, I suppose the best thing that you and I can do to really let God be in charge is for us to be still and know that he is Lord. Prayerlessness, this is in your notes, you can write this down. Prayerlessness is a sign that you desperately need to be in control, by the way. You think you don't have control issues? How's your prayer life? Are you beginning your day with prayer and ending your day with prayer? Well, I'm not into that legalistic stuff. I'm not, I'm not either. I'm called relationship. Could you imagine if I went home and I didn't talk to my wife and she said, Trey, you've not talked to me all day. And I said, well, woman, I'm not into a legalistic marriage. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> I don't even want to imagine. Prayer is not about, nah, let me move on. Prayerlessness is an indicator of your need to control. Because when I don't pray, I think I've got it all in control. When I don't pray, I don't need your advice, God. I don't, I don't, need, I don't need your input on where I go on vacation. Just give me the desires of my heart. I don't need, I don't need your input on who I date. I don't need your input on who I text. I don't need your input on, on what I wear. I don't need your input on any of that. But oh, by the way, when I really need you, I hope you show up. Yeah. 
control, can you see this? Control always flows from one thing. Always, ooh, that's a strong word, but I'm going to use it anyway. Control always flows from self, selfishness. I, I was working on myself, and I, I'm not talking about you, but if it happens to apply to you, take it and use it, okay? But there are many ways that I get involved with self. I become uh, self-seeking. You know, seeking my own. I, I love being self-aware, but if I'm not careful, I can lean into being self-conscious and self-seeking, looking for my own, my own privileges and benefits. I can become self-reliant. Oh, man. Do I got any smart people in the house that you just don't pray because you're smart? Anybody like me? Anybody? Okay, Nolan, thank you. Got one honest. Okay, two honest people in the house. Three, Sammy. Yes, Sammy. You as well. You're with me, bro. You understand. We don't pray because we think we got it all figured out. We're self-reliant. Oh, here's another one. Self-absorbed. Oh, man. Do I have anyone courageous enough to admit that you are a sponge and you are all into yourself? You are self-absorbed. You are also, or possibly like me, you can be self-centered. Oh, man. Self-centered. Um, here's another one. I don't really do this much, but self-pity. I don't do this publicly. If you ever see me on Facebook saying that my life is in chaos and awful, you better find me because like the end is near. <laughs> like I've gotten really bad. You need to find me. I don't do public pity parties. I usually, it's just for a table of one. Um, Self-pity. Uh, self-conscious. Do you, do you see how all of this self, this is control. Control is birthed out of self. You know what else is birthed out of self, by the way? Anxiety. Hormonal and chemical imbalances aside. Um, anxiety that we self-produce. Self-produce. Anxiety, depression. We, we can actually build a pity party rightfully deserved and earned and talk ourselves into a level seven, level eight depression. I can, anybody else? I can be happy at church today and by 3 p.m. I can be a level nine depressed. I can find myself isolated and alone and I can, I can think about every little thing that I did wrong and suddenly like it's the end of the world. I'm telling you, I am good at not managing my emotions. I am good at destroying the ups that I have in life. Anyone else? I was, thank you, baby, but um, they may not have known I was talking real stuff about me. <laughs> Could have been a hypothetical. As you know, I'm getting better. <laughs> um, let's see, anything else that my wife wants to out me on? <laughs> um, stress. <laughs> stress. I, I don't think I, I need these. Fear. Did you know that fear is an overflow of selfishness? Did you know that? Because you want to control. You want to control the outcome. And you're afraid it's not going to work out. You're afraid someone's out to get you. Man, you are just, 
You are really self-absorbed, aren't you? You think that everyone is trying to orchestrate your demise. Can I tell you something? No one's trying to orchestrate your demise. Everyone's too busy thinking you're trying to orchestrate their demise. Man, fear just bubbles up from self. It's amazing how no matter what doctor's appointment you have, no matter what checks or no checks are in the mail, when you start to surrender things to God and you get self out of the way, how fear can just be lifted, how depression can be lifted, stress can dissolve, anxiety can be a thing of the past, control issues can be gone. Um, oh, here's another one. Addictions. Oh man, addictions are the overflow of selfishness. Because we become self, self-reliant, we try to self-medicate, we become self-centered and self-absorbed. If we're not careful, we place all of these things in, in the area that God should have. How do you get rid of being self-conscious? Easy, it's in your notes. God-conscious does not equal self-conscious. God-conscious, let's throw that on the screens. God-conscious does not equal self-conscious. Can y'all see that? I don't know what's going on, but it's in your notes. <laughs> Write it down. If you're God-conscious, you're not self-conscious. And if you're self-conscious, you're not God-conscious. I'm going to ask the team to come up. great pastor. Thank you. I feel like a total loser now because I'm so full of self and I don't know what to do about it. I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm not going to just give you an awareness of your brokenness because that's not what Jesus came for. Jesus came to redeem that which is lost. So I want to tell you if you're currently finding yourself in a season of selfishness, even if you're getting better like me, there is something that you can do. The antidote to selfishness, the remedy to selfishness is more simple than you ever thought it would be. Others. When we serve others, when we think of others, when we encourage others, when we champion others, when when we focus on others, we're focusing on what Jesus focused on. Jesus came to serve and not be served. So you wanna break the back of addiction in your life? Every morning, wake up, thank God for the day and ask him, God, how can I help someone today? Get so focused on seeing who heaven is highlighting. It breaks addiction, I guarantee you. You, you wanna break depression? Climb out of that bed, pull those covers back, put on your clothes, wash your face, get on your makeup if you wanna. If not, just pull that hair back, run outside and ask the Lord, who can I help today? Get so busy helping and serving someone else, being Jesus to someone else, and suddenly self comes into proper alignment. You see, God didn't call you to be a nobody. He called you to be a somebody that reaches somebody else. Will you stand to your feet? I apologize that I went over. Um, but I couldn't go another week in this series, so I had to get it. I just, I just really want to encourage you guys to confront some things in your life. Have some hard conversations with yourself. You have something? Go ahead. Oh, um, during the message, I felt like God was showing me, um, and it, it may, be, may be more than one person, but specifically that someone, um, you, you're finding yourself in this cycle of constantly challenging everyone and everything around you, um, just like not in a good way. Like you think, you may even think you're completely right and your feelings are um, legitimate. Like they, it all makes sense in your mind and, and, and in your world. And I feel like the Lord is saying to you today that the reason it's coming out 
towards other people and other situations like it is, is because there's something that he's wanting you to confront on the inside and you're ignoring it. And this morning he's wanting you to recognize that and understand that that's why it's coming out through challenging everyone and everybody around you. And so I just encourage you this morning, I would love to pray for you if that's you. Um, it's not me. What do you want to do with that? <laughs> it's not you. Um, I think that's 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 really good because um, I think, you know, I just throw this out there like the first marriage didn't work out we think it's them the second marriage didn't work out we think it's them the third marriage doesn't work out we think it's them at what point are we going to start challenging the stories that we've led ourselves to believe like the job didn't work out it's them second job didn't work out it's them third job did are you with me like at some point we have to be brave enough to say we might just be the common denominator but the good news for you is that you're not in it alone that God has the capacity to reach in and to help navigate where you're at. And so specifically for that, I feel um, I feel like that's a, that's someone or some people that the Lord wants you to kind of spend some time with. So yeah, I would like to pray. Like, I'll be down here after first service. So if you guys want to come forward, I would love to personally pray with you. Yeah. Sounds good. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. If you are here and you are just ready to fully give up control of other people, to take ownership of that which God has put in your control, self-control, but you wanna just release other people. You have just held other people hostage because they've not acted like you wanted them to act. They've not responded the way that you've wanted them to respond. They've not met the expectations that you had for them. And you're ready to lay those weapons down this morning. Man, it's exhausting. It is exhausting trying to control everything that goes on in your world. The good news is you don't have to. If you wanna be relieved, relieved from the bondage of trying to control anything and everything, will you just raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for? So many all across this room. Thank you, Lord, what a timely word that this is. So God, we surrender every hand that is raised. We surrender right now in the name of Jesus. God, we just give to you what belongs to you. And God, we ask for the courage to know what belongs to us and let us run with that. God, we don't strive to try to make something happen, but God, we do know that action has to be partnered with faith. So God, we just thank you. God, we thank you that we don't have to control situations. We don't have to control outcomes. We don't have to control, God, we just surrender to you. We surrender to you and we understand that when we seek you first in your righteousness, that all of these things will be added to us. So God, we take it one day at a time, one step at a time, one decision at a time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, 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 amen. Can we give Jesus a hand clap this morning?